0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to Relationships Rock. Today we're talking about the role and the responsibility that educators have, or should have, or shouldn't have, in preparing students for shidduchim, marriage, real life, and beyond. And joining us in this discussion are Rabbi Moshe Shaket and Mrs. Michal Shaket, former teachers of mine who are now the head of school and principal, respectively, of Hadar High School for Girls in Boca Raton, Florida, with over 20 years of experience in the education world in all capacities from in the classroom to department chair to guidance counselor to now head of school and principal and having founded their own school, they're going to share with us about their experiences, their insights, gems and rocks and how to better prepare our students for Shidduchim and beyond. So whether you are in Shidduchim, out of Shidduchim, a parent, an educator, there are a lot of insights and rocks and gems to gain from here. At the end of the episode, I do ask them questions that were sent in by you guys on my WhatsApp status. So without further ado welcome by Moshe Schake and Mrs. Michal Shocket to Relationships Rock. Thank you so much thank for you having you. us. It's a
1: pleasure to be here, Raquel, with an amazing graduate of ours from Yeshiva High School from many, many years ago.
0: Thank you. It's really an honor for me to have you guys here and thank you for making time in your busy schedule to join us and to share your insights. The first question I want to ask you guys is, How are you preparing students for shidduchem, for real life marriage and so forth?
1: But something that we do very special towards the end of our senior year with our girls, we have senior seminars. Um, So you're asking in terms of shidduchem and dating. The way that we kind of um, do our chinuch here is that you can give them skills that they need in marriage, but not have marriage classes. So a lot of what we do with the girls for our senior seminars, is we bring in different types of speakers. One, of course, is going to be having to do with Tara um, and and something like that. They're going to go to the mikvah and they're going to get a tour so that they have a very positive taste in their mouth. Um, but the other speakers we're bringing in are completely different topics. But we do, a Shach and I, feel very strongly that they give them a lot of tools. And our goal in high school with the girls is to create and to establish as many tools in their toolkit so that when they get to different stages, whether it comes to seminary or Shadzachim or beyond in so many different parts of life, that they have tools that will help them in every area. And that, of course, will include marriage and and things like that. I would also
2: add uh, two other things that we try to do. One is specifically in 12th grade. And then one is even throughout high school, at least from um, the perspective of Mrs. Shak and I, because Mrs. Shak and I, while we're the head of school and and principal, we also teach in the classroom. We feel very strongly that's why we went into Chinuch. And even though, Baruch Hashem, we feel very privileged to be able to to lead this school, um, we never want to forget about the excitement of being Marbet's Torah and sharing Torah. Um, and I think that we we are able to offer certain things, even what I would call subliminally, that are not necessarily directed specifically to um, marriage, but relationships in general. Because I think a lot of times um, successful marriages are predicated on knowing how to have successful relationships in general. So if we provide them with the relationship tools as they're progressing through high school, and I'll give a couple of examples in a moment, those relationship tools that they are able to put into practice while they're single... And they strengthen and they've developed the confidence to be able to implement them, affords them that confidence and that ability to then take it to the next level, please God, when they get married and have children and have jobs and have to speak to the principal of their child's school or an employer or a community member. It's it's more focused on equipping them with healthy relationship structures that allows them to ultimately be positioned to be successful in everything that they encounter in life. So that's part A. An example would be, I I, in my class, and because in our school, our students all know that Mrs. Shackett and I are married, I will also provide personal anecdotes about different things in our own marriage and how it relates to our relationship with Hashem and how it relates to how to navigate certain situations. Obviously, nothing too personal, more funny examples because it mixes it up a little bit. But I think those small anecdotes really help the students connect to relationships in general, and how they can envision what those relationships look like um, when they're older. And I also use very often um, opportunities to talk about friendships. I teach a class in hashkafa, and it's called Olam Hamidosh Moshe memoshedan Kestenbaum. One of the things it talks about is, you know, that one of the best ways you can tell what your strong midos are, what your weak midos are, <clears throat> are based on your wife. You ask your spouse, They're the ones who know you best. You can cover and you can mask a lot of things outside at your house. But if you really want to know how good somebody or not good somebody is, ask their spouse and they know. Now, none of my students are yet married. So how am I going to parallel that type of description? So I talk about how are you with your parents? How are you with your siblings? Ask your siblings you know, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, because they're going to know you better than anybody else. So to allow as much cross-referencing in terms of relationships that can connect to something in the future, but that they're, while they're progressing as they are as teenagers, I really think establishes a lot of those important core values and those core um, elements to a relationship structure that best suit them, not only in terms of talking about Shaduchim directly when they're at the end of 12th grade, but leading up to that, what those different, you know, healthy things a person can implement and integrate into their lives that could result in having healthy relationships in the future.
0: Wow, I absolutely love that because one of the things that I talk about with singles sometimes is attachment styles. And, you know, they'll say to me, well, I've never dated anybody. And it's like, okay, well, we can look at your attachment style. We can look at the the patterns in your relationships before that with your friends, with your parents. And there's so much to gain from that, you know, in terms of that healthy communication, you know, I I have sometimes single say to me, can I just break up with him via text? Like it'll be so much easier, you know? And I tell them no, (laughs) because as awkward as it is, and it's uncomfortable, and as hard as it is, this is preparing you for life. You know, you think when you're married, you're not gonna have awkward conversations of course you are. <laughs> you, you guys don't see, but the shotguns are like not in their head. Like, yes, yeah, so of course you're going to have awkward conversations. And with your in-laws and with with, with your boss, you know, there's going to be times when you have to negotiate a salary or, or something that's uncomfortable. So, you know, I feel like building relationship skills is so crucial. And, and I love that you're working on that and that you're mentioning that
1: if I can just add um, basically exactly what you're saying. So we have a wonderful guidance counselor here. This um, is Alana Benzo, also a previous student and best friend of Raquel's. But many times she does a lot of workshops throughout the year with different classes. And again, even in ninth grade, 10th grade, it's friendships. It's how to be a friend. What do you consider to be a friend? Um, girls come to us many, many times with social different things that they're going through. And we try to break down what did you do correctly? What can we do better next time? She even does role playing with them so that if they understand what it means to be a friend, to be there for someone during hard times, during good times, sometimes. you're the giver sometimes you're the taker all of that types of things mrs benzel discusses the the love languages with them so they understand enough about themselves and how they how they want to be treated and then to learn that you know when you're giving back to someone else it's not only what you like but it's learning what do they like and what appeals to them Um, but there's a lot that happens and like we said it's not a 12th grade thing yes we do address and we'll talk about that more Another thing I thought of that we do toward the end of 12th grade, but we really feel like relationships needs to be established because that's ultimately what your marriage is based on, starting from 9th grade and 10th grade and 11th grade.
2: I'll add one more piece of something that just that we do in our school. We have the unique you know, opportunity that because uh, we're married um, and we run the school together, so the kids see us as that couple. Um, and so instead of like, you know, a, a panel of you have your Rebbe and you have that you know, Lumu De Kodesh, female staff member, and another Rebbe, and, other people, and they're not connected to each other, and it could be awkward because they see us as a married couple. Some barriers are broken down. So for example, towards the end of 12th grade, one of the senior seminars we do is an Ask the Rabbi Rebbitson session exclusively about dating and marriage. So in May of their 12th grade year, it's no holds barred. There's no question you can't ask. Some of the questions that are more appropriate for me to answer, I'll answer. Some of the questions that are more appropriate for Mrs. Shaket to answer, she'll answer. But at that point, we've been there with them for four years. Our students know once you're a Hadar girl, you're always a Hadar girl. They're a part of our family. And because we have that type of relationship, it's a no-hold, barred, closed-door, not-recorded opportunity for them to ask everything and anything about Shiduchim in general, what to look for, how to navigate, how to know what's right, how to know what's not right, et cetera. And I think that in addition to having genuine and authentic responses that they can then archive. And we hear from our graduates that they remember some of the things we've shared, which have helped them as they're progressing through the shidduch process. I think not only is that powerful, but one additional element, and I think this is critical for high schools as they progress and transition into seminary and college is that when you start to have some of these conversations in 12th grade, Then when they're in seminary or afterwards, when they're in college and they're starting dating, we've already begun those conversations so that when they have a concern and they have a question, it's not uncomfortable to reach out to us and say, hey, do you have a few minutes to talk? I think when you don't already have that channel open and they've already been removed from your school for a year or two, it's very awkward to all of a sudden out of nowhere say, hey, you guys have a few minutes. But if you've already begun some of these conversations, you've begun to open those lines of communications as it relates to this specific area, then they feel so much more comfortable. Oh, they already talked about Shidduchim with us. So there's no unusual type of thing to say, hey, Mrs. Shaka, everybody Shaka, do you have a few minutes? Can I get you both on the phone? I wanna pick your brains about something. So I think it's twofold. Number one, if you can, to create already that healthy relationship where the, you've talked about it, you've named it in high school, you've answered many of those general questions even before it's relevant. And because you do that, then open those lines of communication. So that way, when it becomes La Misa and it becomes real, they've already begun those conversations that they can continue and not just begin.
0: This episode is brought to you by okclarity.com. Okclarity.com is an upscale version of Sock Talk for the Jewish world. It is the place for any Jew to find an excellent therapist, psychiatrist, nutritionist, or coach, and it's completely free to use. Professionals on okclarity.com are vetted experience in working with the Jewish community. Yes, you can even find me there. If you're in the market for a therapist, coach, nutritionist, psychiatrist, or the like you want to check them out. If you don't know what you're looking for, they have a concierge service where you complete a short form and they will personally match you all anonymous and for free. Wow. Can I, can I go back to your high school? That sounds amazing. I I absolutely love, and I, I remember being in your house for Shabbos meals and just learning from the example. And so again, I'm not surprised that you guys are having these real honest conversations with your students. You know, I kind of wish that more people had it, especially because you were mentioning Rabbi Shakat, how, you know, the girls, because they have that relationship, can call you. Most of the time, girls in Shidokim don't have the same relationship that a boy has with his Rebbe and Yeshiva. You know, they don't necessarily have someone who's, you know, on call. This is where, where dating coaches come in. But I do think it's wonderful that the that school is kind of setting it up so that they do have the support.
2: I'll tell you an interesting phenomenon that we're, we've noticed over the last probably five to seven years is that for a long, long time, certainly when I was teaching in yeshiva high school, like the boys was I was close with and the girls were close with Mrs. Shaka. And like when there were questions, when they graduated high school and in yeshiva and post, so the boys would come to me and the girls would come to Mrs. Shaka. One of the interesting things that we're noticing is that when a girl, for example, is in the middle of uh, of a specific dating situation, oftentimes they'll actually want both Mrs. Shaket and I on the phone at the same time. And it's interesting because we serve different roles. the Shaken is kind of there to help the, the girl work through some of her feelings, to be empathic, compassionate, to even understand in a way that obviously a man isn't capable of doing. But what's interesting is a lot of the girls want to know what's making this guy tick. Can you tell me, Rabbi Shaken, what are they thinking right now? Now, of course, now I have to answer for some yokel you know, about what exactly they're thinking about. But it the, the both perspectives, I think... First of all, it helps us in terms of guiding future girls because we see what girls in general are struggling with when they're dating. So that's a critical piece for us in terms of helping future girls. But I think it's been helpful in the conversations to be able to have both of those perspectives kind of simultaneously because every girl, what do they always want to know? They want to know what's he thinking right now. Now I can't tell you exactly, but I can speculate based on what you're sharing from your end what he may be thinking. And then Mr. Shaka can jump in and share. Well, if that is what he's thinking, here's how to advise you to to navigate that. So it's been a very interesting relatively new phenomenon that we're seeing about how the girls are interested in hearing both kind of perspectives at the same time, which is essential for them in terms of like what their next step is.
0: So I wanted to pick your brains because you were saying how things have shifted in the, you know, the last five, seven years. What are the topics that you find are being addressed the most? What are the questions, the things that maybe you kind of realize, hey, singles need to know about this when they're dating before they start dating? Um, so I think that
1: what I hear the most and definitely also not just from students or alumni, but just from reading a lot of articles about this topic and certainly like, like listening to so many of your amazing podcasts and the comments that come out after that. Um, I think that for many girls, and certainly as we're gonna have more and more classes graduating, um, is helping the girls while they're single, understanding that this is a very unique time. It could be hard, it could be challenging, it could be frustrating, we're not taking away from that. You know, the girls more more times than not are waiting for the phone to ring and they're waiting for something to come through, Um, but to help them understand that this is a time where you can fulfill so many dreams that you have. And instead of just being that girl that's just waiting, and I just recently had a conversation with an alumni about that exactly, really maximizing your potential, doing those things, travel, continuing schooling, all the different things that you dreamed of doing, being part of a chesed organization, all the things that you won't be able to do as easily and as freely when the time comes, mir tz of taking advantage of that now. And we don't really talk about that so much. And I'm not sure how much of that is addressed in seminary. Although, again, hearing from teachers in seminary and listening to their shirim sometimes, I am hearing that more, I think, more recently than we did again talk about. I think things were taboo you know 10 years ago and now it's okay to say like okay there are still girls that are single at this age and what should they be doing and how should they still feel that they are completely a person and and fulfilled and how they can get there during that process yeah i think also one of
2: the things i think we're noticing is very interestingly like we grew up in a world where there were no resumes you know and there then shachanim didn't play the same role that they play nowadays even if you were in the firmer community um it wasn't as rigid I guess or as as systems oriented it was more like oh somebody knows two people they'll put them together now with the resumes obviously it's much more structured and there's a lot of advantages to it one of the interesting things that we're noticing is that a girl will start dating and she'll put something on her resume and because of the way it was worded on the resume um, she was giving off impression x and so when those moms were calling us to ask well is this really what she wants or is this what she wants and from that we then call back The girl And we say, well, this is what you had on your resume. What did you mean? And it turns out that what she meant wasn't really articulated well on the resume. And so through conversations with the girl and with the mom, basically, we have to say what you see is what you get on these resumes. So if you aren't clear about who you are, there could be different conclusions that the moms and the Shadchanim are drawing that aren't necessarily accurately reflected. The greatest part about that conversation is that the girl ends up learning more about themselves because of it, because it forces them to refine much clearer. Forget about the person who's reading the, the resume, but it's forcing them to be much more clear to themselves about who they really want to be and what life they're looking to lead and what type of spouse they're looking for and the community they want to live in. And those types of schools they want to raise their children in. It forces them to kind of like hone in on. Instead of talking in more general terms, even though they probably felt initially that they were already honing in on it, but it really forces them to to really really highlight those priorities, the things that are more important, and those are less important. It's funny. I was talking to an alumnus today who was in our you know came to our school just to schmooze, and um, I was asking her how things were going, and she mentioned to me how she's already learned a lot from the dating process, just simply by what's more important and what's less important in their lives. Like she always thought this was more important. And then she realized after dating a few of those guys who had this, but didn't have this, that actually the thing that she thought was less important was more important. And the thing that she thought was more important isn't as important. So I think, you know, one of the things I'm seeing, whether it's through the resumes or just through the dating process, that this opportunity kind of to, to, to dovetail Mrs. Shockett is use this as an opportunity to learn more about yourself, that, While you may not have found that person yet, it's because Hashem is positioning you to learn more because the more you know about yourself, the better wife you're going to be, the better mother you're going to be, the better everything you're going to be and to to use every opportunity as a moment to to learn more about who you are and who you want to become.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I always tell singles, it's the journey. You know, it's not just getting there. In the journey, you become the one. It's not just finding the one. And, you know, specifically with what you're saying about the resumes, I actually encourage singles to give examples when they use an adjective. You know, I tell them, you know, if I say I'm, I'm outgoing or I'm spontaneous, that can mean different things for different people. Like for me, being spontaneous means doing something that day that's not on my to-do list. And I'm like, wow, like I'm so spontaneous. For other people, it'd be skydiving, <laughs> you know? So if you're using something to describe yourself, or if you say, I want somebody who's a bentora, well, what does that mean to you? You know, like you said, what you see is what you get. And I... I, I strongly believe that that bio can be very powerful in making you stand out from just a pile of, you know, schools and, and uh, reference lists. It kind of gives people a little bit of, of your personality a little bit. Girls are ready to start Shadduchim now, the graduates. So
1: they'll ask us, you know, can we have you guys on our resume? And of course, you know, with pleasure, we love to do that. Um, but we always say, but stop in first so that we can have like a face-to-face conversation and really hear what you're looking for. And many times in those conversations, that's when they try to figure out what is it that we're looking for. We know our hashgapa is X and We know this is really, but we really sit down and ask them as many pointed questions as we can and just try to feel it out. And it really sometimes just not only helps them with their resume, which is the smaller part, but understanding like a little bit larger of really what they're looking for. And then, like Rabbi Shachet said, either what's priority, where they're at right now, hashkabigly, because it really has to be fine tuned so so strongly as they're ready to start the shidduch process. And of course that changes, uh, depending on how long someone, you know, someone is dating for. But we have found that to be very helpful before just saying like, of course, put our name down, which we always say yes to, um, but also come in, we'd love to hear. And then we follow up many times, as it it goes to see, like, is this still the same? Is this how we should still be answering it?
0: Yeah, so interesting. I would love to know from you guys what advice you would give to parents who maybe have students in high school and maybe the high schools are not offering what you guys are offering. You know, is it the school's responsibility to prep students to be able to go on to be successful in dating and relationships and she took which is a whole like world of its own? Or is there something that parents on their own could be working with their their children and, and kind of guiding them into building those relationships and stuff. So
2: I, I think it goes back to one of the first questions you asked Raquel, and that is like,
0: what is our primary
2: objective? So I think that we, when we look about look at Shidduchim, we're not looking at Shidduchim as the end goal per se. We're looking at healthy relationships. Healthy relationships are our multitude of variables. We want them to be healthy in terms of their relationship with their friends and the community they live in, having healthy relationships with their, you know, employers and their colleagues, healthy relationships with their children and their spouse, it's a larger conversation than just shiduchim. So I think it is the responsibility of a school to step in and provide um, seminars, um, opportunities for workshops to be able to help the students role play, to learn about themselves, to learn about their friends in school to understand what works and what doesn't work when there's a confrontation for resolutions of those confrontations. It will ultimately spill over as they're getting closer and closer to graduating our school. And that's why it culminates with some of these more directed conversations as it relates to Shidduchim. But it's a much larger conversation of being a healthy, adaptive, aware type of person who can be able to take critique who can be able to communicate when there's a concern to be able to have those healthy relationships, even when there's bumps along the way. And a product of that is that you'll have a healthy, hopefully a healthy marriage with healthy children, et cetera. Um, so I don't think our focus is for four years and I don't think it should be the focus. I think It would be incredibly inappropriate that a ninth grade student at 14 years old is already hearing about she They're just worried about like making sure they take that first test and even in 10th and even 11th grade, I think they need to grow and have fun and and, and and live a life that's a little bit more carefree without burdening them of all of those future responsibilities, but instead without them even realizing, equipping them with all of those resources and tools that they can test out while they're in high school so that when we start to talk about Shidduchim at the end of 12th grade, we're not coming out of left field and talking about some of these things. They've already heard a lot of these messages. They were just spoken about in relationships in general. And now we're kind of bringing them to the forefront as it relates to Shidduchim. You know, I, with parents also, I, I think parents to talk about shidduchim in, in high school, sometimes, you know, parents will say that depending on what kid their kid goes schools goes to in high school or seminary, which to some degree seminary does play a role. Let's be honest, even though we wish it wouldn't, you know, seminary, where you go in seminary, there is a piece of it that people formulate judgments on. But certainly while they're in high school, I think um, the focus should always be relationships. So if your child comes home and is expressing a concern about, you know, Uh, a kid who she's friends with, um, but there seems to be some uncomfortability, there's a strained relationship, focus on building your kid up to have that difficult conversation. And through that buildup and through navigating that tough conversation that hopefully they come out unscathed. On the other side, they will then be able to build on that with confidence to confront the next difficult conversation, but more focused on relationships specifically and not shidduchim. They'll have plenty of time post-seminary to meet with that life coach, to meet with those shadchanim, where the parents get advice from their colleagues or their friends or rabbis, et cetera, that will coach them along. Um, but I think more focused on the healthy relationships and and let it trickle down to. to What I would just
1: add to that is that we have seen a lot from our graduates that in um, their seminary year, a lot of the seminaries do address this and they talk about shidduchim specifically, not just relationships, um, but specifically what to look for, how to navigate through that, dating and things like that. And I think that is really a much more appropriate time. Like Rabbi Shackett said, you can't overwhelm the kids when they're younger, it's so far away from them. But for seminary, the girls are definitely thinking about it a lot more. Um, I know a lot of schools during the Shana Bet program also focus on Sheduchim and things like that. So they're getting it there. Um, But I would say to parents that the best thing we can do for our children is is mirroring in our own relationships at home with our spouses. Because at the end of the day, you can take a million classes and you can take all these, you go to a conference on this and you can hear someone speak about that. But at the end of the day, our relationship so strongly is formed, our future relationships, how we saw our parents interact. I'll speak for myself personally, watching the way that my parents, Baruch Hashem, have such a beautiful relationship and a beautiful marriage, and the way that they could be very honest with each other and then joke around the whole time together. And they'll do fun things together, but they know how to have it, you know, and they're real. It wasn't like we only saw amazing things. We understood it was real. There was stress, times that were very, very difficult, financial, you know, things that happened throughout all of our years of childhood. But to watch the beauty, the way that they respect each other, the way they talk about each other um, is really, is really beautiful. And I'll say to the credit of Rabbi Shake, um, he's very good at that. He will share with our students sometimes or when he lectures and he gets, you know classes to adults, if there's an anecdote of something that he likes in me or Amida, he will talk about that openly. When people see that that's how you talk about your spouse and there's a tremendous mutual respect that spouses have, that to me is the greatest gift you can give to your children. And when they see that, we hope, we daven, that that's what they mirror. And and the rest, of course, is, of course, the tefillah piece. You daven and you don't stop davening for everything that we want for our kids to have and to be. But certainly when it comes to the topic of shaduchim and marriage and relationships and shalom bayis, is is tefillah is going to be the component at the end of the day that's going to be the greatest gift that we can give our children.
0: Yeah, I actually once heard Rabbi Mansour say how the best thing you could do in chenach is work on your shalom bayis that by you working on your Shalom Bayit, you're giving them the best foundation for all the thin-up issues that could come up. You know, you did mention seminaries and yeshiva, so I want to just speak a little bit about that. Um, you know, I have found, again, on the other side, when people come back and we're kind of discussing things, that sometimes seminaries really put a very unrealistic perspective, <laughs> or as somebody actually told me, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mention this later, I actually opened up my, my WhatsApp status for questions, and somebody said to me that you know her seminary kept telling her marry up marry up like you know expect x y and c and I, I kind of wonder what your opinion is without having to get you know all political <laughs> and controversial of what the role that seminaries and yeshivas are doing and maybe something that you think they could be doing differently or or that they could be adding
2: So first of all i think that i don't i, I don't have as much to do with the yeshivas anymore just because we run a girl's school um, I'm not sure, and it probably has to do with the fact that boys, like you said before, Raquel, have Rebbe when they come back to America, A, and B, they're not starting the Shidduch process immediately, kind of, they have to get, they get off the boat. I don't get the sense there's a lot of marriage talk uh, for the Yeshiva boys, um, you know, Shana Aleph, Shana Bet, that they're having, just because I think it's still so far away, they're more immature, they're still kind of transitioning from high school to like being an adult, um, so I don't think there's a lot of that. I could be wrong. Uh, I think a lot more of that happens as they're getting closer to that time. And that ends up a lot of the hadracha and the ATSOs that are being given are being given by the Rebbe who they've developed a Kesher with, which, as you said, unfortunately, many girls don't necessarily have that opportunity. Um, You know, I think I think it is important for seminaries to to share. I think also the seminaries are hearing a lot of feedback. There are girls who are still connecting to their seminary teachers and they're they're hearing that stuff in real time. I think that, I agree with you, I think you have to manage those expectations, you know, I think it also depends how uh what type of seminary you're going to, you know, I went one of the seminaries that I once met with, I uh, was in the base world, you know, was sharing with me that we tell all of our, our, our graduates that, you know, you really should start off your marriage with several years of kolel, um, which is a very normative, very acceptable, something that we, you know, we we believe in as well, you know, if it's the right thing for you to be able to to set a, start off that marriage a few years to be able to learn and to really establish your house predicated on lima Torah, you know, ideally, even if you could do it in Eretz Yisrael, it's even better. Um, but she said something very interesting, which I, which I was a little bit shocked by coming from more a more traditional B'Siakov seminar. And she said, but if after three or four years they want to pursue a profession, that's also the chila. That's also the chila. Not everybody has to go specifically, you know, the, the, the learning lifers, so to speak. And, and p- kids shouldn't be made to feel that if they do marry somebody like that, that they're marrying somebody who's bid the event. So I think that, and, and, and it's to no fault of any seminary. When you pick a seminary, you have to know going in what the messages they're sharing and you have to be okay with those. Otherwise you shouldn't be going to those seminaries. And if you choose to go to one of those seminaries, the child and their parents have to be comfortable with those messages. But I thought it was a very different, um, but nuanced, um messaging of understanding that it's not completely black and white, that you different people can live different uh, lehatrila from kite lifestyles that may have some nuance, and yet you're still living lekhatrila. So I think I think that's definitely something that I think is always a challenge for seminaries is because every seminary has their hashkafa and you may have a wider range of students in there. And when you're talking on in general terms, you're giving a more black and white type of message. That um, sometimes doesn't ultimately get to the more refined, because you're not meeting with every single kid about that one particular pr- presentation that you made. Um, and I think that that's not no, to no fault of them. It's just a fact, you know, a fact of the circumstance. But I think if, if we could try to give some more of the individualized messages and a little bit of that nuance, a little bit of that, that flavor, because she would have understood that there may be more than one approach to who you're going to marry.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that that basically said that because that has not been usually my experience, and especially when finances play a big role in starting off learning and how girls from, let's say, a place where they don't have the financial support, how they kind of come to terms with, oh, am I less than or am I settling? You know what I mean? Like all the good boys are yeshiva boys, a working boy is not as good. All of these uh, conceptions. I actually love the fact that that you had that experience. Yeah, can I actually add one more piece that I actually, yeah. that I don't fault
2: the, the seminaries for. I'm a big believer from a Chinuch standpoint. I'll just give you a personal personal anecdote from us. You know, I have, we have a married son who's learning in the mirror. Obviously, we're responsible with the other side to, to support him in learning. We're very, very proud of what they're doing. But we sent him to elementary, middle, high school, and base medrash of where that was priori. I would think that that would be incredibly hypocritical if, when my son was getting married and he said, you know, I need help. I need you guys to support me. And I said, well, no, no, you got to figure that out on your own. I don't think that would be a very reasonable thing for me to say. I shouldn't have sent him from kindergarten to elementary, to middle, to high school, to base measures where these messages are being communicated. And then when it becomes reality, I say, I'm just joking. You're on your own. So I do think there is a, a strong level of responsibility on the parents when they're choosing an educational system for their child. They have to know going into it. We are not people of means at all, Kanaihara. We have six children. We are not, you know, rolling in in the, in the money. But we understand that if we're going to put our children in an educational system of where this is a pri- primary uh, value and something that is, uh, you know, on the front radar and on the front burner to our children. Then, when it comes time for them to want to put that into practice, first of all, and there's no greater nachas than when your kid does something that you've hoped and dreamed and aspired for them all those years, but you literally have to put your money where your mouth is. Otherwise, you have to think ahead and have that chacham of barosh and anticipate, don't put them in that system. And I would say the same thing when it comes to the Beis Yaakov seminaries. You know, Mr. Shaka and I do Israel guidance together with our students. And when we have a number of students who are pursuing the Beis Yaakov track. We're very upfront with the families. And we say, if you're putting your kid in the Bay system, it's an amazing system. We ourselves have a child who's pursuing that system. Let me share with you the messaging that they're sharing. It's not bad, it's great. You need to understand that if you're gonna put them in that environment, then here's what they're going to come home with saying. And if you're not comfortable with that, whether it's, I wanna marry somebody who's learning or the expectation that you're gonna to have to support them, you need to know ahead of time that you shouldn't send them to that track. That's not the Bay fault. That's the responsibility of the parents. And quite honestly, that's the responsibility of the schools to share with those parents very transparently and very upfront what it means to continue in that system, what the positive consequences are, what the consequences that may make you somewhat uncomfortable. And you're going to need to weigh the pros and so to speak, the cons to decide what's going to be best for you and your family. So I actually don't feel that it's the responsibility or it should fall on the shoulder of the seminaries, they're very honest with you what they are providing. It's really the responsibility of the school to communicate to the parents and the parents to go in with their eyes open so that they understand what's going to be expected of them.
0: So I want to kind of move towards now, I, I posted on my status if there were any questions or, or things that they wish that had come up when they were in high school or in seminary yeshivas. And here are some of the questions that I got and I would love for you guys to kind of give me your comments on it. So the first comment that I got, and there were a few of these, was that, that it's very possible that I have to wait and that that's okay. Everyone just kind of made it seem like Shidokim would just happen right after high school. And if you were a good girl, you got married easily. And you know the ones that didn't, something maybe maybe, maybe was wrong with them, Shalom. and that life after high school is a lot more than just getting married. I wish schools had spoken about that, to how to manage that in-between step from high school to having an adult single life? It's a very good question. Um,
1: because this has come out the last, I don't know, a bunch of years that I'm hearing about this and reading about this so much, um, we really try to, I'm not saying we're addressing it head on, but really when we speak to the girls, you know, there used to be, or maybe it still is, and certainly in different worlds for sure, that the way that they think about it is they go to seminary and the second that they land down on that plane, they need to start tzachem and there's this pressure. And if they're not married within the third month of school, there's something wrong with them. And, and that's why I kind of started before with something that we're trying to, to like, really, really stress as much as we can with kids is that first of all, not everybody's ready. So it's not like the first thing you need to do is start. And I've been hearing a lot from Shad Khanim where they get a resume or even a mom of a boy who gets a resume from a girl and sees that she just touched down and landed. And they're like, are you kidding? Like, First, get yourself together. First, whatever you're going to do. So you're in college, you're working, whatever. Have a life and get yourself kind of. And then when you're ready, I'll see it. But if I see a lot of the moms are dismissing those resumes that are too new and too soon because they want them to kind of adapt. Beyond that, it is true that the, the world does kind of prepare the girls that you're going to go to seminary and you're going to do it while you're doing college. You're And then we hope that ends with very soon after that. You're, you know, you're, you're married to the guy of your dreams. It doesn't always happen like that, as we know, and we're seeing that and hearing about that and people are much more open about that now, which is why we want to try to encourage the girls as much as they can, enjoy that time that you have as a single. Now, again, when you're in 12th grade, you know, when we're talking about, let's say, marriage and, and relationships, we're not really talking about when it's going to happen. I think it's an expectation that everybody has uh, that we want it to be right away and we all do and that's what we in for, um, but reality is it doesn't always happen that way. And our our best piece of advice is it's not necessarily something I think that should be addressed in high school. I don't think that's the time really for this. I think a lot of those conversations can or should be happening in seminary the best piece of advice we can give is do all the things you always wanted to do and be the person that you want to be and everything else at the right time we hope that sooner than later for everyone will come um but but don't look at yourself as like i'm on the single where's na- like you are who you are and this is what hashem wanted from you right now and what you're supposed to be doing is pursuing your career your degree whatever it is that you want to do travel have fun and enjoy that time, um, but I don't necessarily believe that that's something that should and and you know can be addressed so much in high school. They're so not really there at that point yet.
0: Yeah, I also don't think you want to kind of set them up for that anxiety of like, will it happen? You know, will it not happen? And you know, again, this is a great time to kind of mention hashtag love yourself. Your energy attracts, and if you're stuck in this victim mentality of woe to me, I'm suffering and everything is horrible you don't want people to pity you. Pity, pitying is not attractive. No one's going to look at you and be like, oh, Nebach, I feel bad for her. Let me make her a up." You're not going to be attracting good things. So definitely, you know, whatever stage in life you're in, make the best of it. I actually heard this once. I think it was from Mrs. Kanner. There's a chizkuni that says that Chava has two names. She's Chava and she's Isha. Because there's two roles of her. Sometimes, you know, you're going to have a stage where you're going to be the Chava role. And and then there's a different stage Well, you can be the Isha, you can be, you know, this intellectual being independent and and do all these things and whatever Hashem gives you, you know, kind of like make the best of that moment. Right. I just want to add to that, Raquel. I think
1: that's beautiful. And I have heard that from Mrs. Kanner and from you. And I will say that that really applies to every stage of life. And I don't think that's Mm -hmm. only Shittachem. I'll tell you, we got married, Bar Hashem, we were blessed with a child right away. And then for many years, we struggled till the next one came with a loss in between. And I remember a very close friend saying to me, teacher actually of yours, Mrs. Esther Grossman, and she said... Focus on what you have right now. Focus on the time, the extra time that you're going to have. And I'm Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to bless you at the right time with, you know, with many children. And you won't be struggling with this, but really that's every part of our life. And it's not, I don't really don't think it's just when it comes to Shaddachim. It's everything. There are times where you want something, you want a certain job, and you're not getting that job. And why is everybody else around you moving up to that stage? And I'm still left behind as just whatever that... And we have to learn how to maximize what we have at that time and to look for the brachos we have at that time. And I love what you always say. And I've heard this from you many times. Your energy is what people feel. So if you have that negative energy, woe is to me, that's how every friend, every potential shidduch and coworker, that's how your family, your siblings, everybody sees you as that. That's no one wants to be around someone like that. But that positivity is very important, even when it's hard.
2: I once heard a great, I mean, he, he has said it many times, Rabbi Goldberg says, great vart. That when the Torah says, mm-hmm. so the simple translation is you have to love everybody like you love yourself, but whatever everybody forgets is that the prerequisite to love somebody else is you first have to love yourself first, you'll love yourself so that you know how to love somebody else. And, and I share this often with my students that I think one of the greatest obstacles in relationship building is that we're so insecure, we lack so much confidence, we have such low self esteem. That because we're so low on ourselves, we don't have it within us to exude that energy and to be able to give some of it to somebody else. We don't even have enough for ourselves. How can we spread that to somebody else? I think one of the things we try to do in our school and and I think in general, one of the things we try to maybe even, you know, um, implement in our home and with whomever we interact with is you're great. You're amazing. That doesn't mean we don't have weaknesses that we have to work on, but that you have so much to give and that to try to make sure that you're loving yourself. So that you have that love towards others. I just mentioned in my halak, my Ashkafa class recently, very famous as well, that to be a mashpia, right, to influence others comes from the word shefa, comes to from the words overflowing. You can over only overflow if your cup is full to begin with. So how can you go ahead and give to somebody else if you yourself are empty? You have to fill yourself up with the confidence the self-esteem with an understanding that you're capable of tremendous things, being able to identify your co-hosts, your capacities, your abilities. And when you do that, you begin to appreciate who you are. And once you're able to appreciate who you are, you're then capable of recognizing the strengths in others as well. And that just is like that, that cyclical effect of building really healthy relationships.
0: I feel like that's like the highlight clip for this, for this episode. I absolutely love that. So let's go to the next question. This one I got a bunch of in different ways, which is how to communicate and how to argue. That was something that actually people mentioned a lot. I wonder if you guys could just give us like one tip that you have in terms of communication and how to argue. Okay, I'll start. So- I think that for many couples, you know, opposites
1: attract. That was definitely a situation for us. Um, we are very similar in certain ways, but we are so different, which is why people always say to us, how are you married and work together? Doesn't always work for everyone. And I'm not saying this is like the perfect model, but it does, thank God, Baruch Hashem work for us. And I think um, because we are so different with each other. So I'll speak for my husband, Rabbi Shaket is vocal. He shares how he feels. He communicates pretty straightforward. I am not a communicator. I don't like to share how I feel. I'd rather just like be like, okay, you're right, which is what I do most of the time in my life in every relationship that I have. Okay, you're right. Like, I don't want confrontation. I have learned through my marriage um, that I do have to figure out and through my my position also, that I have to be able to express how I feel, even when that's hard for me. Um, And so that is something that I I still till today, work on and struggle with for sure. Um, But to me, the most important is when you're having an argument again, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your best friend, whether it's with your sister or a coworker is you need to definitely validate that other person for sure that you need to, they need to be heard out. Let, you need to let them talk. So what I've learned is like, really just be quiet, let them talk. And this I do with students also like, let them just vent, let them get it out. They need to. And then after that, you can then share what you're thinking and what you're feeling and try not to bring in other things. Not to, Well, last week, you also did like just stick it on what it is right now. Right now, we're talking about this. And so this is how I feel right now, or this is how this makes me feel. And I also am very apologetic. So of course, as I'm like, having any type of like argument or conversation or confrontation, which is very uncomfortable for me. Um, But I always will, obviously, I'm so sorry that I made you feel that way. And even if it wasn't on purpose, or even if I didn't, I really didn't make you feel the way, but that's how you feel. I am so sorry for that. Like, I really try at least from my end in conversation, again, it's with marriage, but it's, it's it's relationships. It's every relationship that we have is to hear that person, be quiet, let them talk. They need to get it off their chest. Always apologize whether you were right or completely wrong, because at the end of the day, it's not about being right or wrong. If you want to have a healthy relationship, bite your tongue and bite your tongue many, many, many times and try to pretend you don't see things Many, many times, because if we say everything that we want to say with with our moms, with our mother-in-laws, we will have no relationships out there. But if we bite our tongue, is this really important? Is this going to matter in five years from now? And if not, zip your lips, you don't need to say anything as much as you can. And then when you do need to, then you need to communicate. (laughs) Uh, I had the opposite
2: experience. I'm a very transparent. Don't really have a filter um, in the same way, certainly when I was younger, said it like it is. Communicated like it is, no sugar coating. Um, and also my brain is more more of a black and white. I'm I'm not as gray. Over the years, I've I've become more gray. Thank you to my wife, who has helped sensitize me to those things, which I don't think is uncommon for men in general. I think men are more A plus B equals C, and I don't get it. If that's what C is, that's what C is. And I don't understand why you're upset. Da, 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 da. And to realize that it doesn't matter, and, and I'll echo those sentiments of Mrs. Shockett. Doesn't matter if A plus B equals C. If ultimately D is what's best for your relationship, then I'm going to turn C to D because at at the end of the day, it's not about being right. It's about being that person in that relationship to validate and to legitimize and to comfort, et cetera. So definitely through you know my my natural inclination is to be very direct and say exactly what's on my mind. But to over the years to learn, first of all, take a breather, and you don't have to say everything at once and think before you speak. And make sure what's coming out of your mouth is really how you feel. And it's not just the emotional piece. And to be honest, and this is a kudos to to, to Mrs. Shaggett, I really, 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 and I'm still a work in progress for myself. And the transparency, I think, has its positives, but it definitely has its shortcomings to really at times in which I see myself getting that level of passion and, and I see the telltale signs to defer to Mrs. Shockett. So, for example, if one of my kids is doing something that I think she should, he, he or she should be doing differently, I'll sometimes not physically take myself out of it, but first see how Mrs. Shockett's gonna respond. Let's see how she responds. I may or may not add something, but let's see how she responds first because I see myself getting I may not say it exactly how I want to say it. There are other times, I have one specific example where. I remember that uh, Mr. Shockett had an issue with a friend many, many, many years ago, and Mrs. Shocket didn't want to ever address the issue with the friend. And to be honest with you, I was not okay with this person speaking in the manner that she spoke. And I basically really pumped her up to the point where I, I kind of forced her to confront the issue with that friend. And as much as she didn't like it, she did confront this friend and their relationship ended up being so much better because she was able to have an open conversation. So you know, I, I I pride myself on the fact that I really, I give so much credit to my wife for having that influence on me and understanding the nuance and understanding the gray and understanding when to step up and when to step back. And uh, and I think part of what our marriage, because we're so, so different in these regards, and I do say this to my students all the time, it's true. I give a lot of anecdotes about my wife that I really feel like we personally are moshling each other. Like her strengths happen to be my weaknesses. My strengths happen to be her weaknesses. It's why our marriage and family bar Hashem works and it's why our professional careers work is because we really are able to complement each other's in ways that not everybody's capable of, of doing.
0: I feel like you guys should give like relationship workshops together. <laughs> I absolutely love the vulnerability and I want to kind of bring it together. You know all, all the points that, that you're saying one of my teachers in Stern, Mrs. Shoshana Shechter, told me how her their, their Mistar Kadushan, Rabbi Tversky said to them, whenever you're arguing, if you're able to hold hands, he said, it will remind you who you're arguing against. And she said, there were times when she was upset with her husband and she's like, I don't want to give you my hands, but I'm going to give it to you anyways, you know, and she said that alone would like break the tension, but it's just to remind you, like, who are you fighting against? Like you said, your spouse is going to highlight all the things you have to work on and, I think overall, it's it's the respect, it's the the speaking in a way that it that is befitting of you're speaking to yourself. I really want to thank Rabbi Shocket and Mrs. Shaket. Forgive me of their time; they're so so busy. I really appreciate it. I think everyone here picked up on so many gems and rocks in this conversation. Thank you again for joining us.
1: Thank you. We just want to thank you, Raquel, for inviting us to be here. We are so proud of everything that you have been doing and doing. And I love following everything that you put out in such a sunua type of a way. Without doing it through other channels, you do it in such a beautiful way and such modesty. You were like that in high school and you just took it to the end degree. So we're so proud of you and so happy.
2: I would say this has been, I think, our rule of thumb is just be real in life. Just be real. Don't tell your students something you're not doing. Don't pretend like you're not who you are. I think that kids see right through it, when there's a disingenuous, where there's an inauthentic presentation. And, and then what ends up happening is, is once they see it, you know, never change their impression of you. And I think that, I think that one of the probably the core value you could be a, a huge Tom, you could be a scholar, but if at the end of the day, you have an inability to connect because you're just not transparent and honest and real, you're just never gonna connect. And you may not be as big of a Talmud Chacham, but you are able to inspire them through the Torah, you're teaching them and you are real, you end up having a much more profound impact and influence on who they are and ultimately who they want to become. Like at the end of the day, what do we want for these kids? We want these kids to grow up to be B'nai bnos Torah. Well, if they're not seeing in their homes and in their classrooms, people who are modeling as Mrs. Shaka was saying earlier, then what have we given them? Unfortunately, and we're both principals, and it's sad to say, but I don't know how much they're actually remembering from their Navi classes, from their Halacha classes, from their Chumash classes, but they are remembering those conversations you're having one-on-one or in the context of a classroom and making sure that you're real about everything. And it's okay to say, I don't know. And It's okay that you share a weakness and you make yourself vulnerable publicly, privately, but to be real, I think ultimately is going to lend itself to a, them wanting to develop a relationship want, with you and to ultimately wanting to continue that relationship far, be- relationship far beyond 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 high school.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. We'll speak to you guys. This episode is brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com regularly hosts Instagram live sessions featuring different experts discussing pressing mental health and wellness topics and answering community questions, all anonymous and for free. Last but not least, if you have WhatsApp. Okay, Clarity has an incredible WhatsApp status with close to 9,000 obsessed followers. And yes, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health, and they post the best humor so you'll laugh too. We will put those links to their website and WhatsApp in the show notes. Smash those links, you won't regret it.